0: Father, as we have come, to be set up to be thankful, for and thankful for Amen. and Margaret and David and uh, all of their children as well, to turn their eyes upon Jesus. We thank you that Jesus is the one who offers true comfort and true uh, joy and true all that we need. And I pray that they at this difficult time, we turn to you. Father, we pray as well for today as he is there. We pray, Father, for all who are here who are struggling with sickness, uh, who are struggling with grief, uh, and we pray, Father, that they will turn their eyes to Jesus and focus upon him. We pray, Father, for our times where times are good, times are happy, things are going well. Lord, help us not to uh, take our eyes off of you in those times, but to continually thank you for all that you have done for us. Father, we pray for those who are living in unbelief, who do not know the Lord Jesus. They have not accepted him for who he is as Lord. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would turn their eyes to you as well. Father, as we have various uh, uh, things going on throughout the week, speaking the gospel to our young people, to our children, to people at work, in our families, in our neighbourhoods, Father, would eyes be turned to Jesus? And even this morning, Heavenly Father, in our church, help us, Father, to see Jesus so clearly this morning, that we will respond to him in repentance and in faith. We pray, this, Father, for your glory, and in Jesus' name, Amen. But Amen. 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 Well, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, that's page one fifty-five in the Church Bibles,
1: And one,
0: initiate the large print. And this morning we're going to look at one John chapter one and verses one to four. But before we read that, I want to show you a picture of something that you may recognise from a few years ago now. This was uh, an advertisement on London buses that was uh, given by uh, atheists. And it's amazing that this slogan was used, because the slogan says there is probably no God. Probably no God. amazing that atheists want to advertise that there is probably no God. And it was interesting when I spoke to Christians in London... In 2008, 2009, when these advertisements were going on, that they were really excited as Christians that this advert was in place. Because they would always go and say to people, let's talk about that word, probably. There is probably no God. They cannot know that God doesn't exist. And so the best they can do is to say, well, he probably doesn't exist. Well, one on six, we looked at this, which is I. Uh, ministry uh, a couple of Fridays ago, and we turned to the Bible and we read there how God has revealed Himself. Firstly, in creation, we asked the question well, how is everything here in the first place? Where did it all come from? Then we looked at the Bible, which is God revealing Himself through His Word, and then we looked at Jesus Himself. Jesus who showed Himself to be God. And we were able to say that there probably is no God. It's not really what we should be saying. But that God is real. We do not worship a God who is probably there. We worship a God who has already come. We have an answer to the question not only of does God exist, we have an answer to who God is. Now the Bible explains that God is a trinity. One God, who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the second person of the trinity. So Jesus is God. So when we see Jesus, we see God. That's what we read right at the beginning of our service. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. We have seen God where we have seen Jesus. So where we see Jesus, we see God. But many people today dispute this truth about Jesus. And in fact, you notice it when you talk about Jesus. Many people want to have conversations about God. But when you use the name Jesus, well, sometimes the anger levels rise. Sometimes the apathy shows. Sometimes the shutters come down. Because the person of Jesus is always under attack. And we need to be able to defend our faith from those attacks. People at school, people at work, family members. As well as uh, other people, we can hear all the time, well, Jesus was just, just a moral teacher, or well, Jesus was, was just a good man. But the Bible can say Jesus is God. We can listen to the radio. Television and other media that will deny that Jesus is God. Sometimes, even people claiming to be Christians deny the truth of the scriptures about Jesus. While well, the churches who the letter of John was written to were in a very similar position to where we are today. As we read John, we need to cast our light, well John, we need to cast our minds back over 2,000 years ago to the end of the first century. Jesus had ascended into heaven about sixty years ago, and almost all of the original twelve disciples and the Apostle Paul, who had seen Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, had been masters of their faith in him. And the early church faced two enormous challenges that they have continued and we continue to face even today. The first challenge was the challenge of persecution, which continues even at this time in various parts of the world. But the second challenge is heresy, from false teachers that took people away from the truth of authentic Christianity. Most of the New Testament dealings with heresy were to do with the church teaching legalism through following Jewish laws and traditions, which Christ had first adopted, but there was another heresy that crept in too, which John deals with in his letter here. This was what later history went to call Gnosticism. And as John writes his letter, we read about Gnostic beliefs, and there are two main things that they believed. The first. Was that they had a special knowledge that was given to them by God. And only those with this special spiritual knowledge could be saved. And this led to arrogance and unbelief towards others, and lovelessness towards others. Hence there's a lot of focus in this letter about loving one another. Because people with a, a special knowledge that I know things that you could have possibly know caused them to be very arrogant and loveless. But the second thing that they believed that this knowledge led them to was that there was a big difference between physical matter and spiritual things. So that their physical world was evil and the spiritual world was good. And this meant that they could not believe that God would come in the flesh because flesh to them was evil. And this gave them a big problem then with the authentic Christian belief about Jesus. And so they taught that God didn't really become flesh, but Jesus was only appearing to be a man. God only appeared as man, but he wasn't really. And their arrogance and their unkindness won people over to their beliefs, because they sounded really clever. And people were confused, and people were shaken in their faith. And today, as we read those slogans on buses, and as we hear uh, untruth about Jesus on the media, and perhaps even in our own family, we can sometimes perhaps be shaken in our beliefs. We can wonder if it's really true what the Bible says. Well, into this steps an old man, Pastor John. He was the only one of the original 12 disciples left, and he is concerned to these churches in the area of Asia Minor where he is ministering. He writes to Christians who have been shaken by false teaching, who are in need of assurance that what they believed was the truth. And Pastor John writes this letter to protect his sheep from false teaching and to give them assurance of what authentic Christianity is. And as we read this letter we will examine what authentic Christianity is. What genuine Christians look like. John takes Christianity here back to the basics. What do we believe? And what is the result in our lives? We'll see that we know that Christians are Christians by the fact that they walk in the light of the God who is life. And also we will be reassured from a wonderful defense of the faith that following Jesus is the only way to eternal life and joy, because Jesus is Lord. And right at the beginning of this letter, Pastor John lays out the evidence of why we should know that Jesus is Lord. And he does so with the truth about the word of life. So let's read these first four verses of 1 John. 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1-4. to That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have handled, have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which is with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that he also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is God's Word. Now the first thing we need to do in this chapter is just unpack who the Word of Life is. Now John the Apostle, who wrote this letter is the same author as wrote the fourth gospel, the Gospel of John. And if you read the Gospel of John, you'll see many similarities between that gospel and this letter. At the beginning of John's Gospel,
1: John writes
0: of the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And we know in that Gospel he's talking about Jesus. We read at the beginning, the Word became flesh and made his in among us. So the Word, the Eternal God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And here at the beginning of John's letter, he talks of the Word as the Eternal God. The Word, but he calls him the Word of Life. So God is described here as the Word that brings life. And when we talk about life here, Jesus is called the Word of Life because he gives life. Life as it's supposed to be. Resurrection life. Life that is eternal. It's not just talking about the organs in our body that keep us alive. Many people live, as in they breathe, without Jesus. But only Jesus brings spiritual life. Eternal life. where we will have new resurrected bodies that will live in eternity with him. So Jesus is described here as the word of life. And that is who John is talking about in these verses. And the very first thing we see about the word of life is that the word of life is real. Notice in this verse how John uses the senses to explain how God became flesh. He begins with that which was from the beginning. Now the beginning was where the word of life was. John Gospel tells us that the word was in the beginning with God. The word, that name for Jesus talks about him as the eternal God. He was in the beginning. Jesus is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. He has always existed. That is what John talks about in his Gospel, and here as well he says, that which was from the beginning, at the very beginning, was Jesus. He was not created. He has always existed. He was in the beginning. In the Old Testament of the Bible, we read God saying uh, to Moses, you cannot see my face. For no one may see my face and live. But in the New Testament, John tells us that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. That, that, that the God who we, no one can see became flesh and we can see his glory. Uh, we, Christians call this the incarnation. God becomes flesh. As we read the Gospel of John, we read that Jesus showed through signs that he was God. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He forgave sins. All those things only God could do. And John showed us that he is God. And in this epistle, this letter that he wrote, he shows the manhood of Jesus, to show that God, Eternal God, was made flesh. John says the Eternal God has been heard, has been seen, has been touched. In, the answer, in answer to those who deny that Jesus was a real man, those people that thought well, you could, you know, flesh, flesh, and, 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 and material things are evil, and so Jesus, God, couldn't be a man. John says, "No, no. I saw him. I heard him." I touched him. And these words are not metaphorical words, but definite words. So John heard, as in, my ears heard the sound of the voice of eternal God. My eyes physically saw him. My hands actually touched him. Remember, John was the one who had his head on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. He touched him. And he uses another uh, phrase here that we have looked upon. That word looked at is more than, than just seeing. It means I gazed at him, I studied him. Notice how these sensual evidence this pile up. I want to use an illustration. When I sit in my office at home, sometimes I hear aeroplanes going overhead. And I could. Stay in the office, and someone else would be there, and they might say to me, well, "What was what was that?" And I could say, "Oh, I heard." I have touched him. So it's like you then go to the airport and get him on that plane and then go on a journey on that plane and get him off. And when i meet him at the airport nobody in their behind night is going to say well no actually i think it was a boat. It's an aeroplane. I heard it. I saw it. I gazed at it and I went on it. That is an aeroplane. And that's what John's saying here in Jesus. I heard his voice. I saw him. I gazed at him. And I touched him. There is no doubt that this is a man who is God. John heard, saw, gave, and touched that which was from the beginning. And what was that at the end of verse 1? This we proclaim concerning the word of life. He heard, saw, gave at and touched Jesus. The Word of Life, God made flesh. The eternal God was made flesh, and John saw it. But then he goes even further and adds more weight, because he never uses the pronoun I. He doesn't say which I have heard, I have seen, and I have touched. He uses the pronoun we. That is John and the other apostles who were Jesus' disciples. It wasn't just John who testified here. But John and other disciples, all of them, heard, saw, gained that and touched Jesus. Paul the Apostle in 1 15 writes of how hundreds of people saw Jesus after his resurrection. There is no case that we can say Jesus is probably God in the flesh. We don't need to put any probably because we know the Gospel of John and the other Gospel accounts clearly show He is God. And here we see that those who wrote the Gospel and wrote this letter were eyewitnesses of him. Now, <laughs> in a course of law, all those uh, witnesses declaring the same testimony at the same time would not be ignored. God, the one who brings what we shall see in a moment, is eternal life has been made flesh. As we move to verse 2, John uses almost legal terms to make this point again. In verse 2, he's repeating himself. In verse 1, John uses the senses, but in verse 2, he uses legal authentication here. In a court of law, no one is going to get called as a witness if they didn't see anything. If you watch uh, football games, often when something uh, goes wrong, like there's an offside decision that's a bit, uh, you, you don't know whether it's right or wrong. When you ask the manager whose decision went in favour, the they always say, oh, "I didn't see it." Or if their player didn't get a red card and they should have, they always say, "Well, uh, I, I, I didn't see it, even though obviously they must have seen it." But John here tells the truth. He saw, and he is a witness. if he go to a court? he would be called because he saw the Son of God. He says the light appeared, and we have seen it. So if so the God has appeared, we have seen him. We have seen it. And the fact that he saw it, meant John could testify. So he said that we have seen it, and testified to it. Testifying means that they have authority to speak as a witness. That's what testify means. Authority to speak to the witness and they have authority because they saw. You don't get caught in the river if you didn't see. If you do, you have no authority. You can't testify. But John goes even further than that, because he says, I do not just testify, because testify means that if someone asks me a question, I can give an it. He says, no, I don't wait for the uh, people that ask me, I proclaim it. So proclaim goes, Further. They aren't going to wait for people to ask them about it so they can testify. They're not going to wait for their day in court. John says, I testify, I testify to this, and we proclaim it. We just speak it out. We cannot help but speak the things that Jesus has done. Remember the apostle said that in the book of Acts? And notice what they proclaim in verse two the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We have seen Jesus is the eternal God. And he came and he dwelt in the flesh, and so he is the eternal life, because he has always lived. He brings eternal life, because he is eternal God. Only God can bring that. I saw uh, on the news uh, just yesterday, uh, a scientist uh, who is trying to bring life for a thousand years. He thinks that if you, uh, a body can be like a car and you can fix it. He obviously hasn't driven it with my car, but a body is like a car and he can fix it. And so he says I can do this and people can live for a thousand years. But well, even if he could, what then? But John testifies to eternal life. There's no hope in the gospel if John says uh, I, I testify to the thousand years that he made that you can live. No, it's an eternal life. Because only eternal God can bring eternal life. Finite man can increase perhaps finite life, but it's still finite. This is eternal God bringing eternal life. And that's what John proclaims. Now some of you, I know, have sat on a jury. And on the jury you are asked to examine the evidence and either convict someone of being guilty or not guilty of a crime. And people are claiming that Jesus is not God in the flesh. People were proclaiming it here in John's time. Jesus is not God in the flesh. And today people claim that Jesus was not God. Not many people claim he he was not a person. Usually today people say he was just a good teacher or a moral man. One answer to that by the way, if he could not be a good teacher, if the claims he made were not true. And he said that he is the only way. He said that he is God. And you couldn't be a moral man if those things were not true, because it would be a moral for him to say them. But they are true. But people deny that this is true. But examine the evidence. Sit on the jury. Look at what John is saying. Look at this evidence. Look at his Gospel. His Gospel shows the eyes of the cancer of his miracles. He did what only God could do. And he did so whilst in the flesh. Now when speaking to non-Christians I say to them, look at the evidence. Look and see that Jesus is who he says he is. But John writes this letter to God's people. He writes this letter to Christians who were shaken in their confidence. And so to My brothers and sisters this morning, we can look at one shot, and we can have confidence in what we believe, can't we? We can know that this is true. We don't need to be shaken by what we hear from outside, because this is true. This is real. God has come in the flesh, and his name is Jesus. And because of this, we come to the second point we see in this passage about Jesus. The word of life is to be proclaimed. Over and over and over again, in this passage, just in these four verses, we see this word, proclaimed, And the word means to bring important news. And if what John says about Jesus is true, then it must be proclaimed. Because it's the most important message that could possibly be brought. John talks about Jesus as the word of life, and as the eternal life. And this is because Jesus brings us life, as we've said, beyond eternity, life into eternity. And when John uses that word life, it's talking about not just life in heaven, but also life right now, resurrection life, life of vitality, joy, peace, and ultimately life that ends in heaven and goes on forever. And what did Jesus say about getting this life? In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said he is the only way to eternal life. He is the only way to heaven. That's what coming to the Father means, coming to heaven. Jesus is the only way. There is no alternative. The alternative to eternal life is eternal life. And death, as death hell. And so, with a message like this, if it is true, and John shows that it is because he's heard it, he's seen it, he has touched it, then it must, it must be proclaimed. It must be told. It must be spoken of. Now, you can proclaim lots of important messages about climate change, about healthy eating about the benefits of staying in or getting out of the EU, but in comparison to this message, those that are insignificant, this is what we must really proclaim. All of those things may improve our lives in some way, but we're still left with the problem of death. Now we can make it longer to die, perhaps, if we eat healthily, but Jesus said he could And John has experienced Jesus, and he boldly and madly proclaims Christ. And what about you? What about me? If we're Christians, what are our lives and our words proclaiming? Well, some of you may ask, well, what am I supposed to say? I don't know what to say to people about Jesus. Well, the first thing to say is to proclaim what John did, what he has seen and heard and touch. In other words, go to the Gospels and read the Bible with them. Show them Jesus. Open up what the Bible says and tell them about Jesus. But secondly, proclaim what you have experienced. Share how Jesus has changed your life and how he's still at work in you. Christians call this a testimony. We testify just like John did. We haven't seen God in the same way John has, but in a way we have. We have it written for us in the Word of God. So let me encourage you again this week. First of all, examine again who Jesus is, what Jesus said, what Jesus has done. Meditate. Be enraptured by who He is. If we don't read about Jesus and, and think about Jesus, then we'll become stale about Jesus. And there won't be any desire to proclaim, but when God has captured our hearts, when we realise that Jesus is the only way to eternal life, that what the Bible says is true, then we proclaim Christ to the world, to the families, to our friends, to our work colleagues. We take opportunities to show them that Jesus is Lord and there is no other way. I said a moment ago that the word life means more than just being alive, and John goes on to describe in these verses that this message is more than just being alive. He goes on to talk about the word of life brings fellowship and joy, look again at verses 3-4. to We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, oftentimes people can uh, forget that we don't just become Christians to get a ticket to heaven. It's not what it's about here. It's about fellowship and joy. And that is what the Gospels is for. We proclaim so that you may have fellowship with us. Now, fellowship is an important word in the Bible. But it's often misunderstood. We seem to have an idea of fellowship as tea and coffee with Christians. If I have a cup of coffee with a non-Christian, I'm having friendship. And if I have a cup of coffee with a Christian, I'm having fellowship. coffee, although coffee can certainly be involved. It's a partnership that has common values, common goals, and common and shared responsibilities. It's a little bit like going into business together. If we went the business together, set so up a garage to repair cars, we would want to have the same values in customer service. We would want to have perhaps the same love of cars. We may have different responsibilities. You wouldn't want me to be the mechanic. I may have different skills, but this is more what biblical fellowship is like—a common cause together, a partnership. And Christian fellowship is where we share common beliefs in who Jesus is. We have common goals, which is to bring Him glory in our lives and to share that message with others. We have shared responsibilities in the church based on the gifts God has given to us. It is working together, living together, loving together, (coughs) for the glory of God, together. John says that they proclaim Jesus because he wants us to have fellowship with him and the other apostles. So when it says fellowship with us, that word us is referring to the other apostles. Now you may say, well how can I have fellowship with them because they're dead? well that's because fellowship is more than coffee you can't have coffee with someone on the side but you can believe the same as they believe and that is what it means here you can have goals the same as they have to bring glory to God to share the message of the gospel and so when we become Christians we do so based on what the apostles taught, and in this way we still have fellowship with them so we have fellowship with those apostles. That's what he means. You have fellowship with us. We have their beliefs. We have their goals When we believe what they contain. But notice who the apostles themselves have fellowship with. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Jesus Christ they knew God because they had been with Jesus they had heard him, they had seen him they had gazed upon him they had touched him and they had fellowship with him they had common values common goals common beliefs with Jesus and so when we have fellowship with the apostles we believe what they believe we aim at what they were aiming at we live as they live. We have fellowship with God himself. In this epistle, John will talk a lot about how we can know God. There are people telling him, well, you, you can know God with his special knowledge." John said, no. You know God through knowing Jesus and having relationship with him. And John tells us here how. Through having fellowship with him. Through believing what we believe. Aiming at what we aim at. Proclaiming the same message we proclaim. And you have fellowship with God. But notice the link between fellowship with the apostles and fellowship with God. If we do not have fellowship with the apostles, if we do not believe the same things they do, if we do not aim for the same things they aim at, then we do not have relationship with God. As we go through this chapter, uh, John will clearly explain what that fellowship looks like. What it is the apostles believe. We see some of that because Jesus is being proclaimed as the word of life. But we'll see also how the apostles expect Christians to live. But for now, John is simply saying we can know God and have relationship with God through what the apostles taught about Jesus Christ that he is Lord, that he is God in the flesh, and that he is the only way to heaven. Now we can know God, but oftentimes the view of this is one of rules and regulations, and drudgery and oppression. So people have this idea that if I follow Jesus, life would be so boring. Yes, uh, in heaven I'm sure it would be wonderful, but, but right now How boring is following Jesus? But John says, no. Look at verse 4. Why is he writing these things? We write this to make our joy complete. The hour in this, our joy, is not just the apostles' joy, but all the people who are reading this letter, as well as the person writing it. Some translations have the word, your joy, the point being made here is that John is writing these things about Jesus, not so that we can be miserable but straight into heaven, but so that our joy may be full. What's joy? Joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness can depend on happiness. But joy is a deep contentment or satisfaction that comes only from knowing God. <coughs> and only knowing God can give us full joy. Because God made us, and he made us for him. There is no other way to true joy, because God is the one that designed us for joy with relationship with him. We said this last week in the evening as we looked at Ezra. We saw the people of God having real joy as they celebrated the Passover, as they celebrated the death of Jesus. And there is true joy in following Christ, but we said last night that we are lied to by the enemy that the devil or that the that, 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 that devil that sin equals joy. We have that whisper in our ears if we, if we do this or go there or believe this and it's sin that we'll be joyful. And we fall for that lie only to find that we've sinned. That were miserable. And in John's Gospel, we read these verses last week as well. He talks about joy that only Jesus can bring. In John 15 and verse 11, after talking about obedience to his word, he said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. In his account of him being a good shepherd, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life, and life to the full. John talks of life there, he talks of life in this epistle. Not just He's not saying that your, your heart will be better, and your lungs will expand fuller. He's talking about spiritual life, eternal life, true joy true peace, true satisfaction only comes through Jesus. Those who know and follow Jesus, the eternal God, can have full and joyful lives as they follow him. And that ultimate joy will be in glory, while our joy will be absolutely complete for all eternity when we inherit in full that eternal life that John proclaims here and that only Jesus can bring because he is eternal God. (coughs) Next week we'll see uh, what someone who follows Jesus looks like. But for this week, the focus is on our Saviour, the God who became flesh. When he became flesh, he did so that he might bring us eternal life. What we're going to do uh, now is we're going to sing, but first, before we sing, we're going to stand together and proclaim together uh, the Apostles' Creed. This is The Apostles' Creed is what the Apostles believe. This is what we must believe if we claim to be followers of Jesus. This is what John, one of the Apostles, proclaimed. So we'll stand together and we'll say the Apostles' Creed together,